Hello, I'm Gary Fogle. Welcome to another edition of Kentucky Sports Memories. Thanks for joining me. Our topic today is Phil Sims, born in Washington County in Springfield of Washington County, Kentucky. Of course, the central part of the state. He lived there for a little while. Then as a child, he moved on to Louisville, where he grew up in a blue-collar, working-class family and uh, went to Louisville Southern High School, where he was a football standout. From there, on to Moorhead State University as a football and quarterbacking standout. And from there, a first-round draft pick of the New York Giants, where he spent 15 years in the NFL, won two Super Bowls, was a Super Bowl MVP. He was a two-time Pro Bowler, first-team All-Pro, so quite a NFL career, quite a football career, great quarterbacking career for Phil Sims. Lots to talk about with him, so let's get right to it. My conversation with Phil Sims. I know that you were born in Springfield, Kentucky. Why is that? Is your family from there? Yes, my mom and dad were both from Springfield, Kentucky. Um, uh, my dad, you know, uh, I actually was born, he lived on a farm. And, of course, you know uh, there's eight kids in the family. Uh, so my dad was a tobacco farmer and everything else. I think he had basically, you name the animal, we raised it. So, uh, <laughs> But, yeah, so we, I stayed there until um, I think I was at the end of my, we left. I can't remember exactly what time of year. But I went to the first grade down in Springfield, Kentucky, and then we moved to Louisville. So you never really did any true farm work. You just got to play with the animals. Oh, uh, that is just not true, Gary. I really? Did, well, sure. You know, you can never have enough hands on the farm. I'm not saying <laughs> I did any really hard work, but, you know, my dad said, hey, come on here. You know, I need you to do this. And probably the worst job because, you know, tobacco was such, our, I guess, our main moneymaker. Uh, my dad would be plowing the weeds, and I'd have to put my hands in the back of his seat on his tractor and follow him to make sure no tobacco plant got covered up. Now, man, did I hate that. So, you know, when even though I was young, I looked back, even, even then I was like, oh, man, I'm glad we're moving to Louisville, whatever. Uh, it was, so, well, whatever. It was some good experiences even at a young age down on the farm. But, of course, a lot of great experiences living in Louisville. So you don't regret not having lived the farm life? Uh, no, I do not. Not at all. <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's, 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 it is what it is, but that's one of the reasons why we left. It was just so hard on my dad to run a big farm and all that and everything. And we, we moved to Louisville and he worked in factories, uh, you know, for the rest of his life. So I guess the Washington County Commanders, the high school football program, regrets you moving to Louisville. Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah, not only me, my brothers. Yeah. Uh, who knows what we'd have done or what sports we'd have played if we'd stayed there. But uh, uh, look, I, I I haven't been down there in a couple of years. When my, my mom was alive, we would always try to make a trip for one day down to Springfield, Kentucky, to see some relatives and to see the one stoplight. I think it still has one <laughs> stoplight in the town, for real. But there was a couple of good places to eat, which I enjoyed when I went home. Well, very good. What other sports did you play? I assume you played everything growing up. No, my dad was this way. Look, he, you know, we, everybody played sports. We all loved it. You know, uh, back in the days where we actually played pickup baseball, which would be, you know, you, you'll never see one of those again probably. The oh, rest yeah, of I life. played pickup baseball as a kid. Yeah, I know what you mean. the field's dead. you got to hit it to left field, right field, you're out, whatever. 
but I, I played football and baseball. My dad said you can pick two sports, and every one of us, all the boys, all had paper outs, stuff like that for the Louisville Courier Journal and the Louisville Times back then. So there were two papers, but you had to deliver the early one, you know, around 5, 5.15 in the morning. Then you'd come home from school. If you weren't playing a sport, you'd have to deliver the afternoon Louisville Times. So, uh, and of course, the Louisville Times is not there anymore, and I wish it wasn't there when I was growing up. So <laughs> <laughs> not, nothing against them, but, you know, delivering papers twice a day, was uh, that was a lot of fun. It, it taught you a good work ethic. Well, I guess so. That's what I always hear. Yes, it, <laughs> it, it, that part was very good. And, of course, I didn't do it for free. So being right. young like that and have to, you know, if you want something, go out and earn it. It gave us a chance, and all my brothers, a chance to, you know, to buy something for school, whatever it was, or something we wanted, or just have money to go out at night, and, you know, eat a hamburger or whatever you wanted. So it was that part was great. Without being humble, and maybe I should know this and I don't, were you any good at baseball? Uh, yes, I was. Uh, I was good. Uh, I always thought that that's what I would be, would be a baseball player. I dreamed of it and thought, you know, I want to play professional baseball and then Little League and all that and through high school. You know, I was a, you know, I don't know what to say. I was a very good player and uh, I pitched. Uh, played shortstop, and then as I got older, I went to third base and, you know, just was a better position, I guess. But uh, I was a good hitter, a good pitcher, and, you know, kind of had a lot, not a lot, but quite a few colleges look at me, wanted to know if I'd come and play baseball. But nobody wanted me to play football and baseball. And so the reason, well, Moorhead State was the only school that really offered me a full scholarship. So I went there on a football scholarship and during the summers, I played in the league right off the Waterson Expressway. I can't think of what they call the league. It's, I, I think the field is still there. But I think it's the Derby City, but I'm not sure of that. It, it, it could be, yes. During the summers, after the, my first right. two or three years in college, I played summer baseball there at night and on weekends. So that was a, some good memories there, too. Baseball was the love of the family by far. I started playing football in the fifth grade at St. Rita's High School. Because in Little League, well, one of my classmates was David Greco. So the father says, he said to me, his dad was going to coach the team. He goes, are you going to play football? I said, yeah, I really haven't thought about it. I said, if I do come and play, if I'm not the quarterback, I'm going to play. And David Greco says, oh, no, you'll be the quarterback. My dad can't wait. And I said, oh, you know, I had never thought. I said, yeah, okay, I'll come play. So that's, that's kind of how it started. It's pretty funny. So if you'd have been a tight end or a linebacker, we'd have never heard of you. Uh, well, that's exactly right. Probably so. I was only going to play football only if I was the quarterback. So you were a spoiled kid. <laughs> no, I wasn't spoiled. I just go, nothing <laughs> intrigues me about playing any other position. I want to throw it. You know, that, that was all it was. And, you know, I, you know, I was the pitcher in Little League and whatever, <laughs> And, you know, that, that kind of things. So I thought, well, if I play football, i got to be the quarterback. In the fifth grade, my first pass ever, St. Rita's, I, I forgot the team we were playing, I dropped back and threw it as far as I could throw the ball down the right sideline, and David Greco caught it in full speed and ran for a touchdown. I can remember that. That was my first play in organized <laughs> so football. So your first completion was a Hail Mary. 
It was basically that, full speed. David was a good athlete, you know, and in fifth grade he was running full speed, caught it. And what's so funny, first play of the year. And then we were in the eighth grade, and we're still together. And on the very first play of the year, we did the same thing again. I just threw it as far as I could throw it, and he was running down the field. So it was was pretty funny. I, I can remember those two plays like yesterday. After hearing that story from Phil, I thought, you know, it'd be good to talk to this David Grackle. So I made a series of phone calls, finally tracked him down. He lives in Michigan these days. And we talked about him playing football with Phil, and he too remembers that very first play. My dad designed a special play. We called it the bomb. And it was a play where Phil you know, went drop back as the quarterback. There weren't any, um, you know, it was all under center in those days. Um, he dropped back, and I ran down the field, and he threw the pass, and I caught it, and that was the first touchdown he threw. But he he was a great quarterback. We won the, the city championship in the sixth grade. I mean, he was such a great athlete. I mean, he played football, basketball, and baseball. He wasn't that wasn't that good at base at uh, basketball, but he I believe that Phil could have made pro baseball team. Whether it was a pitcher or a hitter, a third baseman, he was a great baseball player too. So when he played in the NFL and you watched him, did you stand around and tell all your buddies, "Yeah, I caught the first touchdown he ever threw"? <laughs> I, I I did tell a few of me. We, my brother-in-law used to live in New Jersey, so I went up for a few games up there in New Jersey. And then, uh, he, you know, whenever Giant, we lived in Cincinnati for a while too. Um, after I got out of school, and we went to watch the Giants play the Bengals. Um, but yeah, it's kind of an interesting story. My parents uh, lived in Florida, and there's a lot of New Yorkers down there too. So I always ask them. Have you ever heard of Phil Sims? And I, I tell him the story, but um, yeah, it's a it's a pretty nice story. And Phil's, he, I mean, obviously he's been incredibly successful. Since you caught his first touchdown pass and kind of got him off on the right footing for his career, you should probably tell him he, you know, he should give you send you ten dollars in the mail or something. <laughs> We're giving him the start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's funny because after the Giants won the Super Bowl in I think it was '86, '86 or '87, we went. There was a big party in Louisville that we went to and, and saw him. And I guess that's the last time I've uh, seen him. He's been kind of busy um, raising his family, and and obviously they've been pretty successful too. But yeah, it's a good story. It's a good yeah. story, and it's. It's nice that it, it, it happened to Phil. He was he was such an incredible athlete. Uh, it it was good to see. That was David Grackle, Phil's fifth grade teammate, who not only caught the first pass Phil ever threw, but the first touchdown pass, all in the same play. So he got Phil started on the right footing for his football career. My thanks to him for talking with me. So we're going to move on. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, the recruiting process. Phil ends up at Moorhead State in eastern Kentucky. But who else was after him? We'll talk about that when we come back. 
Stay with me. I'm Gary Fogle. This is Kentucky Sports Memories. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization. If I'm not given the opportunity, if you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it worked. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. Welcome back to Kentucky Sports Memories. I'm Gary Fogle. Thank you for being with me. Today we're talking with Phil Sims, born in Springfield, Kentucky, which is in Washington County, central part of the state. As youth moved to Louisville, that's where he started playing football, played at Louisville Southern High School, and had a good career, good enough that colleges were looking at him. The recruiting process. Who was recruiting him? He ended up at Moorhead State, but who else was interested? We pick up our conversation from there. You kind of flew under the radar coming out of Southern because you didn't have the talent around you like, you know, teams at Trinity and Sanex did. I'm not saying you were a bad team, but you just didn't have the, quite the talent that everybody else had. Who all, you said Moorhead State was the only one that offered you a scholarship. Did yes. Kentucky look at you, talk to you, Louisville, Western, any of those? Uh, you know, I think Western Kentucky was a little interested in me. I'm, you know, not real sure. Uh, Murray State was interested in me, and just a little. Uh, Louisville, I, my junior year, they actually were looking at me, said some things, all that. I thought, oh, man, Louisville might offer me a scholarship, but they never did. They actually offered a kid that played at Butler High School, and his name was Robbie Butler, if my memory serves me right. And the University of Kentucky did send about three coaches one day down to watch me practice in high school. And we're throwing the ball every down in practice. And I'm going, wow, this is great. I don't know what's got into coach, but we never throw like this in practice. Then I look over there and see the Kentucky Cazal standing there watching me. And it was pretty cool. I threw the ball, you know, and I don't want to brag, but I threw the ball awesome that day. And and my my high school coach really wanted me to go to Kentucky. That would be a big thing. And uh, let's see, it was uh, Fran Kersey was the head coach. He goes, he told my high school coach Henderson Wilson, look, there's no doubt he can throw, but we're looking for a quarterback that runs. And, you know, the story, whatever my coach said, well, don't you understand? Change your offense and throw the ball with him. And whatever. So I think they got in kind of an argument. Uh, I'll just leave the details out about the whole thing. But that was about as close as I got to Kentucky. 
Kentucky, what I guess that's when they recruited Derek Ramsey instead of recruiting you for that position. Well, he was one year ahead of me, Derek Ramsey. I see. Uh, I got yes. you. So that, that's yeah. So they had Derek Ramsey. He was a great. Uh, you know, I know I knew him well when we played in the NFL. He was a tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. But yeah, he was tremendous. They were running the beer offense, if my memory is right, and they were really good at it. You know, the other school that did offer me was going to was Wake Forest. Believe it or oh, not, because really? they, they took a kid the year before the running back, uh, Jim Mock or Mike Mock, something like that. He was a running back, so they kind of knew us. And their quarterback coach called me, and they were going to offer me, but I had to do have a double major and major in a foreign language. And I said, Coach, um, I'm not coming. <laughs> you know, I'm not. <laughs> I had no, you know, I didn't want to major in a foreign language. Really? God, you know, I barely yeah. made it through high school because I was, you know, just school. I just wasn't serious about school. So, right. But, right. you know, Moorhead came along late, thank God. So yeah. it worked out pretty well. So he gets to Moorhead and they run a ball control offense. And so his numbers aren't spectacular there. His senior season, he completed. 92 of 173 passes. That's a 53% pass completion percentage. So that's that's pretty good, but he only threw it 173 times. <laughs> Today, some quarterbacks throw that in four or five games. He had six touchdowns for the year, his senior year at Moorhead State. Again, they were Division II back then. There are no Division IIs anymore, but uh, that's what they were back then. In the Ohio Valley Conference, uh, they went 2-6-1. and one. His senior year, which was 1978, he finished his entire collegiate career with 409 completions and 835 attempts. That's uh, right at 49% completion percentage. He also had 32 touchdowns and a school record 5,545 yards at the time. So we talk about his college career. It was a great thing I went to Moorhead State. I redshirted my freshman year. Uh, they almost took it away from me to make me play. Thank God, Vince Samari, who I think coached at Trinity, was down in Moorhead with me. He he stopped them, and you know I got to play four years of being a quarterback, which really helped me get drafted, of course, and just gave me all the opportunity and experience of playing the position that you know somewhat carried over into the pros. Let me step aside from our conversation for just a second. You heard uh, Phil mention Vince Samari, who was a football player at UK in the early 60s, then got into coaching later in the 60s. He coached at Louisville Trinity. And then when Phil was at Moorhead, Vince Samari was an assistant coach there. And as Phil said, Vince helped him secure his redshirt season when the head coach, Wayne Chapman, wanted to play him and burn that red shirt year. So I reached out to Vince Samari, asked him about that. Well, he said that the head coach wanted to take away his red shirt season and play him, and you fought it and saved his red shirt season, and he said that helped save his career there. Well, terrific. <laughs> Who knows what you, you know, you do the things you think are right, but you don't know until the future comes along. Well, I'm so terrific that uh, that it helped him. That's great. Well, it uh, helped him to get to that fifth year as a Moorhead State player, and then that helped get him into the NFL and the career he had there. 
Isn't that something, huh? That so one can... little incident, isn't that something that allowed him to, to grow into a professional football player? Wow. Again, that was Vince Samari, an assistant coach at Moorhead at the time, who pushed so that it would ensure that Phil would keep his redshirt season, which would later allow him to be a fifth-year senior. All right, back to my conversation with Phil about his career at Moorhead State. So you go from Southern High School to Moorhead, and, and Moorhead's a solid program, but it's not known as a football power. And you have a, a very good career there. Were you surprised your numbers there, or is that kind of what you expected going at? Well, you know, it was such a funny error, and, um, you know, one year I threw for 2,000 yards, which was almost unheard of. I think that was my junior year, and, you know, there's all stories like this everywhere. I had an assistant coach who went on to, he left after my sophomore year, and he wanted to throw the ball every single down, and, you know, of course, my head coach, Wayne Chapman, who was Pat Way, who I used to talk to about once a month. Um, you know, he wanted to run the ball. So the numbers, you know, of course, a lot of it's my fault. It's just the time period we lived in where passing was not as nearly sophisticated as it is now. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, they weren't good. But I know this, when the year was over, when my career was over there, as I look back, I go, well, I must have thrown it well enough. And they could see that when they worked me out. Uh, all the pro teams and saw enough uh, to, you know, draft me in the first round by the Giants. And, you know, not to be long, let me just say this. I can't remember his name. Who was the old coach for the St. Xavier football team? Glazer. Oh, Mike Glazer? Yeah, Mike Glazer. Was it Mike or Bill Glazer? Oh, yeah, Bill Glazer was there, too. Mike was – they're both the Glazer brothers. But, yeah, Bill and Mike. Okay, well, here's the story that I probably have never told. The story was, like, the NFL has an area scout that kind of puts out reports on everybody. Uh, they, 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 give, they give it to every team, I should say. So he's at the University of Kentucky, and he's looking at their guys. He goes, oh, my gosh, i got to go down and look at Moorhead. I don't think I'm going to go. They don't have any players that can play in the pros. And Bill Glazer said to the guy, this is the story I heard, and I believe it. He goes, no, I think you better go. And he goes, really? He goes, Yes, I think you better go down there and look at their quarterback. So the scout came. I forgot. It was called Bledsoe or something like that back then, the scouting um, report. He came down, watched my film, and my head coach got a hold of me because they want to talk to He wants to talk to you. Come down. He says, could you throw a few passes for me? Now, you know, this is after the season, after spring football is over. And I said, Sure. So I went on to, got on the field with a few of my friends, threw about 15 or 20 passes. He goes, I've seen enough. And he told the head coach, Wayne Chapman, he said, get the coffee ready and get the donuts ready. When I put this report out about your quarterback, you're going to have scouts and co- you're going to have scouts here every day for the rest of the year. And really? yeah, so it's a cool story. I don't know if it's exactly true. I do believe it because uh, I don't know how it got back to me that Coach Glazer was the one that made the guy come look at me. But the one thing he was right about, there were scouts there almost every practice my senior year. Okay, let's step away from our conversation again. You heard Phil Sims say that Bill Glazer was responsible for the scouting service to come look at him at Moorhead State. 
Bill Glazer was the head football coach at Louisville St. X, 1974 and 75. They went undefeated both seasons, won the state championship both years. He went from there to become an assistant at Moorhead. So he was an assistant at Moorhead in 1976 when Phil was quarterback there. And then Bill Glazer left Moorhead to become an assistant at UK. And that's when he saw the scout at UK and told him he should go and look at Phil Sims at Moorhead. And I asked Bill Glazer about that. So Phil tells the story that some scouts or a scouting service had come to UK to look at some players and he was going to go on to Moorhead, but he said, you know, I don't think I'm going to bother going to Moorhead. There's nobody down there I want to see or whatever, however the story goes. And you told the guy, hey, there's a quarterback down there. You, you might want to go take a look at him. And that's why the guy came. And Phil says you're responsible for him getting the notoriety he did going into the draft. Well, that's, that's very kind of him. But I was at, I was at Kentucky, and uh, they were coming around looking at a number of our players. We had some guys that, that uh, really showed promise. And uh, I asked them if they'd seen the guy down in Moorhead. And he, something to the effect of uh, he wasn't quite sure or wasn't aware how good Phil was. And so I told him, but I, I just I just knew the guy was, I knew Phil was an excellent quarterback. And uh, I knew he was a tough guy. He stood in against a tremendous rush and pressure and took pounding and kept on, kept on working. He was just a great competitor. Well, did you ever know that Phil had credited you with, with that and maybe that was the reason he went so high in the draft? Uh, I heard a couple of years ago he, he gave me credit for it. it uh, it's surprising. One of the guys here, back here in Louisville, told me that Phil, Phil gave me credit talking, talking to a group back here for sending send the, uh, the scout team. But uh, that's very generous. Phil's, Phil's place should have spoken a lot on its own, but uh, he, he was worth it. He was very much worth it. That was Bill Glazer, who at the time was an assistant coach at UK, who sent a scout down to Moorhead and said, you need to take a look at this quarterback. And Phil said that was instrumental in that guy writing up his report and scouts from other teams coming to look at him and very possibly, probably, why he got drafted in the first round by the New York Giants. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Phil's pro career, which didn't start out on a great note as far as the fans are concerned. We'll get to that in just a moment. Stay with me. I'm Gary Fogle. This is Kentucky Sports Memories. that are stressed because their pet isn't behaving the way they expect it to. Usually this is just a training problem, but sometimes the pet isn't a good match for the owner. It's important to be honest about your expectations and to educate yourself about your pet's needs before you take them home. If you have a rigid schedule, a dog might be a good fit since they usually thrive in a structured environment. 
but if your schedule is always changing, a cat would probably be a better choice since they're a bit more self-sufficient. And you should learn about your individual breeds and their behaviors. A large, active dog usually is not a good choice for an apartment, and pets that shed probably aren't good for people that like their homes to be spotless. Remember, the more effort you put into choosing your pet, the less effort you'll have to put into keeping them as a valuable member of your family. I'm Gary Fogle. Welcome back to Kentucky Sports Memories, where we're talking with Phil Sims. And we've been through his youth. We've been through his college career. Now it's time to move on to the NFL. And again, he was drafted in the first round by the New York Giants, seventh pick overall. There was only one quarterback in that draft picked ahead of him, and that was the number three pick overall by the Cincinnati Bengals, they took Jack Thompson from Washington State, who did not have the career that Phil had for the uh, New York Giants. And by the way, Phil, as I said, drafted seventh overall, taken ahead of Joe Montana, who didn't go to the San Francisco 49ers until the last pick of the third round, both of them having obviously excellent careers. Again, just to reiterate, Phil Sims was part of two Super Bowl teams while he was with the New York Giants. He was the MVP of that first Super Bowl he played in, Super Bowl XXI. I think that's 21. I don't really remember my Roman numerals. Remember in elementary school when you had to learn Roman numerals and the metric system because they kept telling you the whole world's going to go to that someday. Still waiting on that. So anyway, Super Bowl 21. He was the MVP as the Giants knocked off Denver in that game, 39-20. to And by the way, he set a record for highest completion percentage in a Super Bowl when he completed 22 of 25 passes. That was good for 88% completion rate. That's a record that still stands. And in addition to uh, being a two-time Super Bowl winner and a Super Bowl MVP, he also was a Pro Bowl selection in 1985 and 1993. So Phil goes to the Giants, a seventh pick overall in the first round. And as you probably know, New York fans, New York sports fans, some say are the most difficult to please in all the world. And when they hear Phil's name called, many of them aren't that excited. A lot of them are probably saying, Phil who and Moorhead State what is Moorhead State? Where is Moorhead State? We've never heard of Moorhead State. Because when it was announced that he was the pick of the Giants with the seventh overall pick, he got a lot of boos. That's one of the things I talk about with Phil as we continue our conversation. When you first got drafted, you were still quite an unknown. And, and I understand that the Giant fans, or some of them at least, booed that choice. I assume you got word of that. You were aware of that. What was your reaction to that? Oh, you know, listen, I couldn't care less. It didn't bother me. Uh, I never thought about it when I came up here to play. Uh, nothing like that. Uh, was I surprised the Giants drafted me? No, they had warned me probably about 10 to 12 days before the draft that they were going to pick me. And, you know, people go, oh, well, what else? I, I really do believe there were about seven or eight teams that were going to take me in the first round that year because they, they told me, and, you know, I could tell by the way they kept calling me, Who's calling you? Who's talking to you? Because they wanted to try to make sure that 
if I was there, they didn't want somebody to take it. And I, I would tell, I remember telling Sam Weish, who was the quarterback coach for Bill Walsh with the 49ers. Bill Walsh came and worked me out twice. And I really wanted to go there because he was just so different and taught me some things that were really great. And they called me constantly and I'd say, oh, the Green Bay Packers, they told me they're going to take me. Uh, the Giants and always check with those teams. They're not going to take you. And well, uh, I was right when I told them about those teams. Uh, and so the San Francisco 49ers, they, they were really unfortunate for them. They had to take Joe Montana. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's really interesting. But Bill Walsh and I really kind of talked for all those years. Every time we'd play him, he would walk across the field and look at me and just go, even into everything I thought you would be. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to say to him, boy, if I just had y'all's offense, it would really be something, you know, it'd be great. But uh, right. he was always very kind to me and we always kept in contact. And uh, I just remember working out for him. He came down twice to work me out, told me what kind of interest they had in me. You win two Super Bowls, I guess, you would say they're both special, and obviously they are. I would think the first one is more special just just because it's the first one. Can you remember, like, every detail of that game? Well, I don't know if I can remember everything, but just about everything. Yeah. You know, I think most athletes, and, and, and you played sports growing up, and, I, you know, remember everything. I can remember my first game of the season as an 11-year-old playing the Tigers in Little League Baseball. Uh, you know, and some of the guys on the other team. And so, you know, especially when it comes, I think, to pro sports and even college, high school, I shouldn't say all of it, athletes just remember everything for some reason. They can can remember special moments. But a game like that, and especially since we won and I happened to play well, um, yes, I can remember everything about it. Standing in the tunnel, waiting before the game, looking out over the Rose Bowl, waiting to be introduced. We introduced our defense just to run in the field, and I just remember standing there there and going, this is everything I thought it would be. And uh, so we running out field was a great moment, and all these things, these members are great because we won the game. Well, if you lose the Super Bowl, it is like a mark against you. And it was a big right. game for me because it was a rough year that year. We went 14-2, and two, but, man, we won a lot of close games beat up receivers. I didn't statistically have a great year, but I did have some games where I came through late, all that stuff. So uh, there was a lot on the line for me that that day at the Super Bowl, but I never thought about it. I just played. Obviously, that would be the highlight of your career. Do you remember or do you have a moment that's your most disappointing loss? Oh, this point, yeah, I'd say the most disappointing loss I had in my career was in 1989, uh, the playoff game against the Los Angeles Rams. We had a bye. We had a week to prepare for them. They had to play a wild card game. They came into place at Giant Stadium. Well, they beat us during the regular season, but we were clearly the better team. Um, it was disappointing in two things. I didn't think we ran the game the right way, and also it was a game where I did miss a couple of throws down the field. Uh, and, and you know, really, really disappointing to lose because I thought we were a Super Bowl team. In 1988, the last game of the year, we lost to the Jets. Uh, I played really well, but that would have put us in the playoffs. We lose. We don't go to the playoffs. So those two kind of stick out. But the 1989 Ram game 
was the big one because I was home that night. I turned the TV on. All the news reports were on, and they're really killing me. And my wife is sitting there, and she looks at me, and she goes, are we in trouble? I said, yep, we are. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, but that's how it is. It's really, truly just into the spectrum to the other sometimes being a quarterback in the NFL. Right. I totally get it. Well, you've got two sons who are outstanding quarterbacks, and they made it to the NFL. They didn't have the career that you had, but they made it. I'm wondering – and you may not know the answer to this question. Are you all the only father and two sons to ever play in the NFL? Well, the Mannings would be the other ones. Huh? Oh, yeah, I that's right. I didn't even think about yeah. the Mannings. That's true. That's true. Kind of so Archie and, yeah, that too. yeah, that's true. Yeah. So maybe you're the only two families to ever do that, uh, especially if all play quarterback. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't know. I haven't looked into it, but I think right. you're probably right. Um, you know, uh, my sons – both were really talented throwers of the ball, all that stuff. My oldest son was unlucky, got hurt, and really it ruined his career. He lost his spleen. And my youngest son kind of moved around. He initially went to the University of Louisville. He was thought he was going to go down there with Bobby Petrino. That didn't work out. Petrino left and took the Falcons job. Then he goes to Tennessee. Lane Kiffin is going to make him the starter. And he's there three days, and he calls me, Dad, you won't believe it. I said, well, well, what's wrong, son? He goes, Lane Kiffin's taking the USC job. And I said, <laughs> oh, my gosh. So he had to go through the hard way and everything. But he, I don't know how many years he officially got in the NFL, four or five, I think. And uh, But, you know, he worked hard. He could really throw. But, you know, being a quarterback, and especially now, man, it's got to fall right for you. There, there, there's so much to it. And you, you really your opportunities, it's not like being a linebacker where they play four of them at a time and they can rotate. You, know, you don't rotate quarterbacks. And you can see guys, just one good instance, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, the first and second picks of the draft five years ago, now backups, and really trying to hang, keep their careers going, even though they were picked that high for many reasons. One, because there's just so many good quarterbacks coming to the NFL. It's going to be tough to hold on to these jobs for a long time. Can't believe I forgot about the Mannings. Archie Manning, who played for the New Orleans Saints, and of course his sons, Peyton and Eli, who had great careers in the NFL. So Phil Sims and his two sons, Chris and Matt. Uh, Phil obviously played 15 years in the NFL. Matt and Chris had short careers, but nevertheless, all three played and played quarterback. So my guess, probably the only two families to ever have a situation where the father and both sons all played quarterback in the NFL. So a pretty distinguished record that they have, or at least they share. Okay, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we move on. We get out of pro football, Phil retires, and he gets into his television career. We'll talk about that, what he's done, how much he enjoys it, what he wants to do for the future. All that's coming up in just a moment. Stay with me. I'm Gary Fogle. This is Kentucky Sports Memories.
I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization. If I'm not given the opportunity, if you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it worked. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. I'm Gary Fogle. Welcome back to Kentucky Sports Memories, where I'm talking with Phil Sims, Kentucky native, born down in Springfield, Kentucky, in Washington County. Lived most of his childhood into his teens in Louisville. Went to Louisville Southern High School from there. Went on to play college football at Moorhead State. And then 15 years and two Super Bowl titles with the New York Giants in the NFL. So let's move on to life after pro football. So you get out of pro football, you get into TV. Do you enjoy doing TV? I assume you, you seem like you enjoy it. Oh, sure, sure, I, I do. Listen, I was going to, no matter what, uh, when my career ended, there were I always thought about coaching and wanted to coach and almost went into coaching at the pro level a couple times. I had great offers, and, you know, there's, oh, do I want to do this? And once I get into it, you know, we're going to be moving because we're going to go somewhere and I'm going to be the coach and we're going to get fired. It's a question of when, and then we got to move, you know? So yeah. uh, it was a tough decision. And, you know, I, I, there are days I regret it that I never coached, but uh, I do love TV. I love talking about football and I always say this to everybody. You know what I do all week long? I watch football games. I study them. I watch them. So it's a pretty good job. And um, here I am 65. I hope it can go. Do I see an end? Well, yeah, sooner or later, somebody's not going to hire me, but it won't be because I want to quit, that's for sure. Well, that was going to be my next question. Did you have an end in sight? But obviously, no. No, there won't, there won't be an end in sight right now. I, no matter what happens at my job, wherever I am, I will find another job. And I always laugh. You know, Boomer Esiason, who's on the CBS show with me, uh, he, we were talking one day, and he said something. I said, man, I, I'm not quitting. I said, if I have to call the local high school game, I'll do that. I'm just going to stay involved one way or the other. And during the off season, of course, I uh, scout all the kids that are coming out, going into the draft at all positions. And I throw probably minimum, probably four days a week with either pro, college, or high school, or even sometimes younger kids. I throw and teach throwing with my son, Matt. And that's kind of my second job during the off season. And it's something we really love doing. And, uh, have great success at, and it's uh, one day that might be my only job that I just do that year-round. So I hope that's a long way away, uh, but, but that could happen sooner than maybe I wanted. 
Well, I was thinking, you know, once you get out of TV, maybe you could move back to Kentucky, buy you a farm, and come full circle and be back on the farm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I got to tell you, it that thought has crossed my mind, not to go on a farm, but to move back to Kentucky. But, you know, the fact that my wife is from up here, I got my three kids are here, I got five grandchildren right now, so... I don't think they would like me moving away from here, away from them. And, of course, I wouldn't want to either. So I'm probably stuck here. There's worse places to be. I do love living up in in New Jersey. But uh, I do miss Kentucky. When I go visit my brothers and sisters, which I did this past summer, you know, it's very nostalgic. And it's another regret I have that I haven't had a chance to go back to Kentucky more, to see friends, to see my family more, things like that. You know, I haven't been over to Southern High School and I don't know when. And every year I go, you know, this year in the summer, I'm going to go down to, and go into Southern High School and see what it looks like and everything and be around. But, uh, you know, that, that's a regret. We all have regrets, and that would be one of many that I have. Totally get it. Well, we won't be seeing you walking behind the tractor, uh, making sure the tobacco yeah. plant is properly seated. <laughs> we won't see that anytime soon. <laughs> no, you won't see that. When I, It's funny. One day my wife said something to me, and I said to her, look, there's two things I'm not going to do in life. I'm not cutting any more grass, and I'm not going to deliver any papers. And then she laughs. You know, she knows the whole story and all of that. So, uh, but look, uh, you, you are right. All those living in a big or having a big family, working the way we did and all that, really did truly help me even in sports. Um, you know, it, it really does toughen you up. And unfortunately, I was the fourth. I have three older brothers, so I don't have to tell you what that means. That means you're going to get beat up every now and then, and it's going to be this and that, all that stuff. But we're, you know, I love my brothers and sisters, and I do miss the fact that I don't get to see them more often. Gotcha. Phil, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Okay. And uh, I'll be watching for you on the TV. You got it. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Phil Sims, who had an outstanding high school football career at Louisville Southern High, outstanding career at Moorhead State University, and then a tremendous career for the New York Giants, where he played multiple seasons and was a part of two Super Bowl winning teams there with the Giants. Still lives in New Jersey, where he's lived since he joined the Giants as a rookie, met his wife up there, has raised his family up there, and that's where he remains. And you see him every Sunday on CBS as he's part of their uh, pre-game and post-game show. As they say, he spends his weeks, as he said, he spends his week uh, looking at uh, football games uh, that were played the week before so he can study up on the players and the teams and be ready to go when he goes on the air on Sundays for CBS. So my thanks to Phil Sims for taking time out of watching a little football to talk with me. I appreciate that. Also, my thanks to Vince Samari, who was a coach at Moorhead State when Phil was there and secured or helped secure Phil's redshirt season. My thanks to Mike Glazer, who Phil talked about, sent scouts his way and was one of the reasons that uh, he got so much notoriety prior to the draft and maybe the reason he went so high in the draft in the first round to the Giants. And finally, my thanks to David Grackle, the uh, fifth grade teammate of Phil Sims, who caught Phil's First ever touchdown pass set Phil on his way to football glory. So I appreciate all of them as well. Coming up next week, my guest is going to be Donna Murphy. Donna was an outstanding basketball player here in the state of Kentucky. She too played at Moorhead State 
and was Kentucky's first ever Miss Basketball from Newport High School. So she'll be my guest next week. Certainly hope you'll tune us in. In the meantime, if you'd like to go to my website and send me any thoughts, ideas you might have about uh, future shows, I'd sure appreciate it. That's at uh, KentuckySportsMemories.com. Go there, click on the contact page, and you can reach out to me. You can also go to that website and find any shows that I've done previously. You can click on the Archives tab and listen to any of the shows that I've done in the past. So again, that'll do it for this week. I'm back next week with Donna Murphy. I hope you'll tune in. Until that time, thanks for listening. I'm Gary Fogle. This is Kentucky Sports Memories. See you next week. We hear from a lot of owners that are stressed because their pet isn't behaving the way they expect it to. Usually this is just a training problem, but sometimes the pet isn't a good match for the owner. It's important to be honest about your expectations and to educate yourself about your pet's needs before you take them home. If you have a rigid schedule, a dog might be a good fit since they usually thrive in a structured environment. But if your schedule is always changing, a cat would probably be a better choice since they're a bit more self-sufficient. And you should learn about your individual breeds and their behaviors. A large, active dog usually is not a good choice for an apartment, and pets that shed probably aren't good for people that like their homes to be spotless. Remember, the more effort you put into choosing your pet, the less effort you'll have to put into keeping them as a valuable member of your family.